0: Good morning. Good. Well, it's good to be here. My name is Susanne Klovdahl. I'm one of the associates pastors here at Northwest Church. And if you are a guest here, we want to welcome you, whether you're online or in person. We're so glad you're here. And um, our lead pastor, Pastor Ben Dixon, is not here this weekend. He's actually speaking at our youth camp. So we had our kids camp this weekend. We have our youth camp this weekend. And we have 127th through 12th grader at camp. Isn't that amazing? And um, I think around se- um, 50 volunteers. And so pray for Pastor Ben. I think this morning is his fourth session out of six. So, um, he's, he's going at it. <laughs> and then we had our kids camp this past week, Monday through Thursday. We had, um, all my numbers here. We had 50. No, we had 70 kids and 35 volunteers for that. Those were the 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. And so we thank God for an amazing kids camp, and we pray that our youth will be will be touched by God this weekend. We know we know they need it. It's been a rough couple of years. Um, before we dive into the sermon, I have a couple of announcements for you. The first one is today at 30 p.m. Um, is our Discover Northwest Church class, also p- taught by Pastor Ben. So he's going between here and camp. And if you are new here at the church or you've been here for a while, but you're just interested in finding out more about how to become a member and what our denomination is about, um, our history, where we're going as a church, our vision, join Pastor Ben this afternoon from 1.30 till about 2.45 in the banquet room. You can sign up online or I assume just show up since it's already Sunday. And then on Thursday, August 4th at 6.30 p.m. in the banquet room, we have our Hope for Families training. And you've heard Pastor Ben mention Hope for Families a few times over the last few months, and you've heard me talk about it. What Hope for Families is, is it's a ministry at our church where our heart is to surround families, whether that's families who are currently fostering single-parent households, um, families who have adopted, just families who could use some extra support, um, in um, in as as they raise their kids um, in difficult circumstances, and so we provide care communities that surround those families and just love on them, bring a meal, help with transportation, help with practical things. And if that's something that interests you, the it's, the training is kind of an info meeting slash training where you'll l- learn more um, about what fostering is, what those families go through, what those kids, how those kids end up in foster care. But also how we as a church are called to surround those families and, and support them. Um, and then you can sign up for that online as well. And then on August 13th, Saturday at 4 p.m., we have our all-church barbecue. Who was there last year when we it. was so much fun. We had so much food, such great fellowship. And so we would love for you to come um, to this all church barbecue. Um, We'll have good food, good fellowship. You can sign up online. Please do sign up online and do so soon because for that many people, we really have to plan well and we want to make sure everybody gets lots of food. So if you could open your Bible to Luke chapter 10 and um, I'm going to pray before we start the sermon. Oh God, I just thank you for this presence, Lord. I thank you for this incredible worship, um, Lord, where we can just be with you, Lord. All the heaviness, the burdens from the weak are lifted in your presence, Lord. And so as, um, as I preach your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you, your words would flow through me, not my own, Lord, and that it would touch those who hear it, Lord. And so we just thank you, Jesus, for your presence, for your goodness, and for your faithfulness. In your name, Amen. Amen. So the title of my sermon this morning is called Love Your Neighbor. And I'm going to read the introduction that's um, in your sermon notes, and then we'll, we'll go on. Over the past few years, our community has changed. There's more homelessness, more drug addiction and mental health concerns, more broken families, more people in need. Crime in our area is on the rise, and so is fear and anxiety. And if you're like me, you see the need, but you often feel helpless, unsure how to engage in help. We can't change society as a whole, but we can make a difference. And so today we're going to take a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus shows us who our neighbor is and what the right response is to a neighbor who is in need. He's calling us to love our neighbor. So if you are at Luke chapter 10, we're going to read Verses 25 through 37. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said... Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So first, let's put this story into context. So Jesus had just appointed 70 disciples or 70 people to send them out in pairs for ministry. And he was giving them instructions for their mission trip, as I call it. And he was finishing up a private conversation with his disciples. And that's when a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Now, the question the lawyer asked Jesus was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And just like in our day, a lawyer back then was someone who was an expert in the law. And the law that he was an expert in was the Mosaic Law, which was a codified system of rules and regulations meant to govern Israel. And if you've read the first um, five chapters of the Bible, um, you you know exactly what, the, what, what those laws are about. And... Um, the lawyer asked Jesus a question, and I don't know if it was meant to be a trick question, but I do know that the lawyer knew the answer because it says he was testing Jesus, right? So he wasn't looking for an answer. He knew what the answer was, and he wanted to know if Jesus um, felt the same. And he probably didn't expect Jesus to do what he so often does in the, in the, in the Gospels, is he answers a question by asking another question. And so um, Jesus asked him, he says, what is written in the law? Um, How does it read to you? You know, what do you think? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus confirmed that that was the correct answer and told him to do just that and, and he would live, he would inherit eternal life. And so here's a lawyer who knows the Mosaic law inside out. He has studied it, he could quote it, he could scribe it, which means copy it. Um, and it would be comparable to a, to a theologian in our time, someone with a doctorate in theology. And not only did this man know the law, but we can assume that he lived by it. He um, Every every bit of it, he that every little detail. And so I think when this man was talking to Jesus, he felt pretty good about himself. Um, whatever was required to obtain the um, eternal life that Jesus was talking out, about, he was already doing it. I think that was his initial reaction walking in. But when Jesus answered him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. There must have been something about the way Jesus said it Um, That made the lawyer uncomfortable, right? Because he could have just left it at that. Jesus answered his question. He felt good about himself. But instead of being satisfied with Jesus' answer, he asked another question the lawyer did. And he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Um, And he asked this question, it says, because he felt the need to justify himself. And I think it was because there was something about Jesus where suddenly he's like, well, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure now if, if I'm, if I'm doing exactly what, what, um, what the law says, or if the way that I love my neighbor and um, who my neighbor is, is, is the right way. And so, um this this um jesus then starts um to tell him the story of the of the good samaritan um i think we call it a parable most parables in the bible it actually says and jesus um Said this parable. Here it doesn't say that, but I assume it was not a real story. I think it was a parable. And um, this parable not only challenges who we have defined as our neighbor, but also what loving our neighbor looks like. And so I want to clarify one thing today when I'm talking about loving our neighbor, I don't mean just be nice to your sibling, honor your parents, wave to your neighbor when you see them. As believers, we're all called to love one another and our neighbors, um, as 1 Corinthians 13 states. Um, And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, just that love is, because that's what we're called to do as as followers of Christ. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, right? That's the love we're supposed to have toward one another, but also toward other people. But I I feel... um, my opinion is that this parable goes deeper than that, um, because as Christians, we're called to help when there's, someone is in need. And so that's the love I want to talk about today, is how we react to someone who's in need, who's suffering. And so the first point of my sermon is what love is not. Verses 31 and 32, it says, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And um, so, what love is not, my first point in that is love is not selfish. Both the priest and the Levite walked by this man who was half dead. He was very beat up. Um, they probably didn't even know if he was still alive, to be honest. Maybe they walked by and they were unsure, but whatever they saw, they chose to just leave the man. And not only did they walk by not looking, they went out of their way <laughs> to, um, to, um, to bypass him. They showed no compassion. And love, what love also is not, is love is not indifferent. And the definition of indifferent is having no particular interest or sympathy to be unconcerned. And that's what the Levi and the priest were, right? They were unconcerned. They, they showed no interest. And again, they saw him suffering. They saw he was injured. They saw he needed help. And yet they chose, chose not to help. And what love is not, it's also not distant. Love is not distant. And it's hard to laugh from a distance, isn't it? (laughs) And um, they went out of their way. It says they passed by on the other side. I've done that before. (laughs) When you come among an uncomfortable situation, right, it's easy to just go, I'm going to use a different exit out of Fred Meyer because I saw this person sitting there and they made me uncomfortable or I know they need help and in this moment I can't react. I don't want to help. But... um, Let's talk about the priest and the Levite. Why do you think they didn't stop to help? Um, I gave it some thought. And so the first one, I thought, well, maybe they were afraid. Um, it was a dangerous road. And when it says um, the, the person went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it was actually an 18-mile journey. And um, it was a treacherous um, desert-like, lots of rocks, um, heat, no, no, no plants, no no vegetation. And they said it was very dangerous because it was an ideal place. Because it wasn't super well-traveled, it was an ideal place for robbers to hide behind the rocks. And so um, maybe they were afraid because they thought the attackers could still be hiding somewhere nearby. And if they stopped to help that, maybe they would get attacked. Maybe they didn't want to get inconvenienced um, Helping the stranger would would have cost them a lot of time and effort, Um, you know, it was a long road. We don't know at what point of the journey the attack happened, but even if we say it happened halfway, they still had miles and miles to walk and to walk with someone who's injured, um, that would take a lot of time and effort. And maybe they didn't have enough food or water, you know, when you, back then when you went on a journey, you packed just enough water and food for yourself. They didn't have those fancy hiking backpacks that we have nowadays that fit your big hydro flask and all the extra snacks. You know, they packed just enough food that wouldn't spoil on the road, right, so that already limits you what you can take because they didn't have those ice packs that we can put in our backpacks, and so um, if they had to, sh- if they were to share their water with this injured person, maybe it would p- put themselves in danger. Maybe you know they didn't feel like they had enough resources, or maybe they really were just arrogant and felt that it was beneath them to help. Let someone else help instead. Um, those those could all be reasons, and why they didn't stop to help. And um, I'm going to talk about me. Um, because I've I've done the same. Um, I've done the same where I've seen someone in need. Um, maybe it was a homeless person on the corner. Maybe it was a friend who did a shout-out on Facebook. Um, can anybody help with this? Or um, maybe it was a neighbor who was not doing well, a family member in need. And um, I was trying to think, you know, when you— pre- I love preaching on something that I'm really good at. <laughs> but when God tells you to preach on something that you're still— Improving, and it kind of makes you take a take a hard look at yourself. And so, um, I thought, why why are there situations where I, I, I where I don't step up? You know, where I kind of do what the Levite and the the the, pre, um, the the priest did, and it comes down to similar reasons. Sometimes I just don't want to be inconvenienced, right? I've I'm I'm on I've got a busy schedule. I've got things going on, and this just doesn't fit in my day. I'm too busy. I already have so much on my plate. I can't take on another thing. Um, I, hope, I was hoping that someone else would step up. You know how sometimes on, on Facebook, a friend will say, we're moving, can someone help? Or um, you know we're, um, we have a medical emergency and, and whatever. And I kind of wait, you know, you wait a little bit. Well, maybe someone else, <laughs> someone else will, will step up to help. And sometimes I feel overwhelmed by the need. Um, of the people, right? You walk by someone who is struggling with mental health or or um, maybe a drug addict or a homeless person or even a family member who is, you know, their need is so great that you just feel overwhelmed um, or you don't feel like you're equipped to help, right? Those are all reasons. Um, and so by the example of the priest and the Levite, we can see what love is not and what not to do when we see someone in need. And by my example too, sometimes... <laughs> Um, But let's talk about what love is. In verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He felt compassion. So love is compassionate. And... um, when the Samaritan came by and he felt compassion, we actually read that in the Gospels quite a bit. It says that about Jesus. We read multiple times that it says, um, "And Jesus, when Jesus saw the woman, he felt compassion. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion, right? We, 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 we hear that a lot. Jesus had compassion. And the Latin root of compassion is, literally means to suffer with. So compassion is the ability to feel along with another person, the willingness to sympathize with the pain of one's fellow humans. More than that, compassion is the pity that stirs one to act in order to help those who suffer. So compassion is to suffer with the person, right? You're feeling bad for them. You're hurting with them or for them. Love is also stronger than the law. Um, We talked about the lawyer um, who was so well-versed in the Mosaic law and um, there were actually quite a few laws that told Jews to stay away from certain people, to not touch certain people, you know, to not um, mingle with, 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 uh, w- with people who were unclean. And um, if they did by accident or even on purpose, there was all these cleansing <laughs> um, things that they had to do. And so um, for hundreds of years, the Jews and the Samaritans were, had been enemies when this, um, when Jesus tells this story um, they, um, the, the Samaritans and the Jews did not agree with what the right place of worship was. And so the Samaritans had kind of separated themselves from the Jews, became really kind of their own culture, their own religion, their o- own ethnic group lived in a in a... Their own region, and so they had been enemies for a really long time. And so, for Jesus to suggest <laughs> to the lawyer that a a Samaritan was going to be the one helping the Jew, if it was the other way around, um, that would not even be allowed for a Jew because they would be considered unclean. Which is another reason why the Levite and the priest um wouldn't have stopped if it was a samaritan but in in this case it clearly was a jew I, I i'm assuming that just by the way they dressed um they would know what a what a samaritan who the samaritan was and who the jew was um but um jesus is basically saying that um the the greatest power on earth is love and that love is even more powerful than the mosaic law and i think that was hard for um for any any Jew to, to believe. I remember when, uh, when Jesus um, healed someone on the Sabbath and the priest said, how can you do that? Because his compassion and his love were stronger th- than those rules. He said, if someone is in need, it doesn't matter if it's a Sabbath or not, you know, I'm going to help that person. In Romans 13 verses 9 and 10, um, Paul says, whatever other commands there may be, they are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not harm to, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? So even Paul states it in, in, the, in, in Romans that love is the fulfillment of law. All other laws don't apply in that case when you love. And then my third point is love overlooks political, ethnic, religious, and cultural boundaries. Um, We talked about the Samaritans being different in race, in nationality, and religion from the Jews, um, and the uh, animosity between them. Um, But in that moment, the Samaritan did not care. He saw a person in need. He saw a person that was suffering, and he decided to let go of their hundreds of years of animosity because his compassion was greater than those barriers and and paul says in galatians three twenty there is neither jew nor greek there is neither bond nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus right and so even we um, need to overlook those boundaries and um, i have kind of a um, ex- personal example for that, when, um, when Kiana, my daughter, was really little, um, we were at home and the Jehovah's Witnesses would come by. And um, to be honest, whenever I could, I wouldn't even open the door. I don't know if you've done that. <laughs> I'll be like hiding in the house somewhere. and um, Or I would open the door kind of half, you know, you know, just a little bit to kind of show that you're busy and you don't have time because I frankly, I just didn't want to engage. I knew... That they weren 't going to convince me that what whatever they believed was better than what or what I believed, but I also didn 't feel like I had the knowledge to engage with them to tell them well, this is why what I, you know what the Bible says is true. And so there was a knock at the door, and I opened it barely, and, and, you know, there was a really nice, two nice ladies, really sweet, and they had their watchtower, and they, you know, um, asked if I had some time, and I said no, and then um, Kiana came, and you know what kids do, I, I don't know, she must have been too I don't know, but they're like curious, and so they peek, and so I told her in German, I said, you know, get back inside, well, what I didn't know <laughs> What I didn't know is one of the um, Jehovah's Witnesses spoke fluent German. So she was so excited. She said, said, oh, you speak German. And so she started speaking German to me. And she said her husband was from Austria and they lived in Austria for a really long time. And so we engaged a little bit. But I was still, you know, I was still kind of not going to engage. And I felt a little guilty. I'm like, here's this, you know. Um, but there were these religious barriers, honestly. And so we said goodbye. And wouldn't you know, a week later, there's a knock at the door. I open up, and it's her and her Austrian husband. And so she's like, I wanted to introduce my husband to you. And something in me, too, I really, I literally felt the Lord say, Susanne, be kind. Be hospitable. And so I told him, I said, Well, why don't you come inside? And they were all like, Are you sure? And so I invited them inside and we started talking just about Austria, how long they'd been here, and how long I'd been here. And we spoke in German. It was really neat. And a friendship developed. And um You know, we didn't talk much about religion, but I would take my kids over to their house and they would play there while I would talk to them. And God allowed me at some point to minister to them. They were struggling with some issues with their adult child, and I was able to pray with her. And like I said, I, afterwards they, they moved. I think they moved to Arizona and I never saw them again. But it's just an example how sometimes we're so afraid. <laughs> and God is saying, just love, like just love, just be yourself, and I will do the rest. And so God is calling us to love everyone. And God is even calling us to love our enemies, right? But we won't talk about that today. <laughs> That's a sermon in itself. Um, My next point is what love does. So we talked about what love is not. We talked about what love is. And now we want to talk about what love does. And verses 34 and 35 say, And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And my first point here is love turns compassion into action, right? I'm a very compassionate person. I will cry over commercials, over the news, I will have compassion for someone on on the uh, that I see on the street but you know what if I don't turn that into action really all it does it makes me feel bad <laughs> right um, it, um and for those of you who have that natural empathy and compass- compassion you know what I'm talking about but the samaritan stopped and he gave him medical attention he bandaged up his wounds it says he poured um Oil and wine on it, and back then that was, um, you know, wine was antiseptic. It would make sure that the wound doesn't wounds don't get effect, infected, and um, the oil was healing. It was like an ointment, um, sealing um, and um, sealing the the wound. And um, and then he put him on his own beast. On his, I'm assuming it was a donkey, and I don't know if that meant he had to walk the rest of the way so that the um, the injured person could lie on the donkey. I don't know if they rode on the donkey together. That would be hard on the donkey. I don't know. But it, 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 by he, he he did something that was, the, he, um, he paid a big price for that. Um, and then he took him to the inn, and not only did he take care of him overnight, but the next day he left money for the innkeeper and said, hey, you, you take care of him, and if there's anything I owe you when I come back, buy on my way back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repay you. And so love is feeling that compassion and doing something about it. Um and um in first John verses three, seventeen and eighteen, and those scripture references are on your notes. Um It says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Right? Let us not love with word and tongue, but in deed and truth. And that's what that Samaritan did. And that's what we're called to as believers. Right to not just say, "Oh, those you know, there's so much bad in this world and those poor people," but God is calling us to turn our compassion into action. And then, love in action glorifies God. Um, Matthew five sixteen says, "Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." You know, sometimes there's a time for evangelism, where we can tell people you need Jesus, but sometimes they're not there yet, and sometimes just even us showing the love of Christ. Um, I've had that so many times where people tell me, wow, no one's ever done this for me, no one's ever said this to me. You have something, you're different, <laughs> right? Isn't that what we, that, that's what letting our light shine as believers is, right? Just by the way that we act and love other people, and the things we do for other people is 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 an example of christ and they will notice it and many times that will open the door for the gospel right that's why it says and glorify your father that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven right first they see our works that will make them question then maybe we have an opportunity to speak the gospel to preach the gospel and then they glorify god um and so so um, an example for that is our medical mission just came back. Remember, we prayed out a team about a month ago. They went to d'Ivoire, Africa um, for two weeks. And um, what they do is they fulfill a need. They provide medical care in, in villages to people where some of them have never seen a doctor. And um, a lot of those people just live with their illnesses and ailments and some more severe than others. And... Um, They provide loving medical care, but then they use that opportunity to pray for those people, to pray for healing and to share the gospel. And I just want to share some numbers because I think it's always so amazing. So um, when our team was there for two weeks, they saw 1,206 patients and 555 gave their lives to Jesus. And, you know, that's what I love about Africa, because it's not a question of whether people believe in, in spiritual power. It's who they give, give their lives to, right? And so a lot of them have given their lives to another power that has not served them. And so for someone to, to come and say, you know, we, and they pray for them, they get healed, and then they say, we prayed in the name of Jesus. Do you want, you know, tell me, let me tell you about this, Jesus. They said 27 were delivered of demonic power, 381 were supernaturally healed, and 55 were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Isn't God glorified in that? Amen. Amen. And another example is our homeless ministry. Last year, August, we did a medical mission to the homeless, Um, one of our members um, is a chaplain, Sandra Little, and she's been doing homeless ministry mainly by herself, maybe with a couple people, for many, many, many years. And God kind of told her, you know, you need to ask your church to partner with you, and she did. And so, we did a medical mission here. We had 80 volunteers and not a lot of homeless um, showed up that day um, we realized partly it was we did it fairly early in the morning and um, one of the police officers said you know the homeless a lot of them sleep during the day <laughs> and then they're active and i but there were some that came but what it did it activated some people in our congregation to have a heart for this ministry that they would have never even thought of volunteering for before and They received training as part of the um, of part, as part of the medical mission that we did, but also God touched their heart. And um, um, one of one of a couple of them are here in this service today. But I just wanted to share. Um, we have some teams now who go twice a week um, to homeless encampments in Tacoma, and they have built some relationships with people there and have been able to see some of them literally get off the streets into housing and are able to love on them and provide them with some f- um, things that they need uh, materialistically, but also just with spiritual love and care. And we believe that God will be glorified through that as well, right, as we as we minister to those people. Um, my third point in this is love pays the price through self-sacrifice. Um, in 1 John 3.16, it says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. And um, when you love, love your neighbor in the way that Jesus is asking us to, um, it's going to cost you something, right? Right. Um, we talked about being inconvenienced, um, helping will take us out of our comfort zone. Um, I've been there many times where I'm like, Lord, really, I don't know that I'm equipped for this. And then when you step out and you rely on, on, on the Lord, um, he, will, he will help you with that. Um, and for most of us, it won't cost us our lives. <laughs> Um but for some it, it has, right? We we talk about martyrs, so so some people literally give their lives for others um um it, out of love or or for the gospel. Um but for most of us here it'll just it'll mean being interruptible, right? When um when when we see someone and and um, being being uncomfortable. But one thing I can say, when you step out and you do that, you will actually find that as much of a sacrifice as it seemed, as much of an inconvenience, as much as you were out of your comfort zone, you end up being the blessed one. Um, We, isn't that true, we had our Royal Family Kids Camp about a month ago, and one of the new counselors, it was her first year, um, told me afterwards, she said, you know, I thought I was sacrificing my week, you know, maybe taking time off work, um, my time, I was going to be tired, and it's a lot of work, and she said, but really, the one that was blessed by it was me, you know, I thought I was blessing those kids, and they were. But she said, I was blessed. And that's really true for all missions, is when you step out and you, you, you reach out to someone in need, you, would be, you will be amazed how blessed you will be by it. And so loving God and loving others is the greatest commandment, and we have to learn to do both well. Amen? We are called to love each other and to love our neighbor. And what we saw in this passage is that Jesus is challenging the lawyer, not only about who his neighbor is, but what practical love looks like. And um, I want to give you just some practical steps, uh, because if you're like me, like I said, you see the need, but you just don't even know where to start. And a good place is always to start by praying. <laughs> um, well, I um, Pastor Ben gave me a book called "The Neighborhood Initiative," and um, in it, it talks about just simply starting to pray for your neighbors. You know, maybe you know their names, maybe you don't. I grew up in a small um, village in Germany. We moved there when I was ten, and at the time, there were like 300 people in the village, and um, every I, everybody knew everybody. I used to deliver newspapers on Wednesdays, Wednesday afternoon, with my bike, and it, it wasn't just a matter of dropping off the newspaper. People would talk to you, and um, and um, and when someone, you know, was uh, when there was a death in the family, everyone would know about it. When someone was sick, you know, in in smaller villages like that, people help each other. But when we moved here twenty years ago, we've been in the same house, I think, nineteen years, and people. It was it's so different. And when you're in a city, everyone likes to stay to themselves, and um, you know, there's. We know the neighbor names of most of our neighbors, but there's like a neighbor on the back of us. I, we've been neighbors for 19 years. I still don't even know their names, um, you know, their fence. It, you kind of have to go around to the other street. But if we can learn the names of our neighbors and start praying for them by name, I really believe that God will give us opportunity. Um, because when you pray someone for someone... God softens your heart for them and um, and then, when you you know you go to the mailbox and they're there and you talk to them, I really believe God will open doors. It happened to we have one neighbor on the right who's a single um, woman is very closed off she you know doesn't talk much isn't out much um but one one time she was out in her yard and I started engaging her and she clearly did not want to be engaged <laughs> she was just you know, like just let me go back in my house but I kind of asked her something I said well how, how are how are you doing she and and, and I was really shocked instead of saying well, I'm, I'm doing well things," she said you know I'm my dad was just diagnosed with cancer, and we're really struggling with that. And so I had an opportunity to kind of talk with her a little bit, and then over the you know months and years was able to follow up with her. Her dad has since died, and that's been really hard. But we got to look for those opportunities, right? So start with prayer, um, whether that's for immediate neighbor or even for a family member, someone that God has put on your heart, or someone that you don't even know God has put on your heart yet. And... Um, and then pray for the Holy Spirit to make you sensitive to the needs of others. That He will increase your compassion. Right? Some of us, like I said, are naturally compassionate. We just have to pray that God would help us turn it into action. And for others, um, some of you have grown numb. Right? It's in—in in, I call it compassion fatigue. Um, over the last two years, I think a lot of us have experienced this when the need is so great and so many people are struggling and hurting. You kind of shut, shut them out. You're like, this is just too much. I can't really make a difference. And you know, I agree. Not everyone is called to fulfill every need, right? It, that would be exhausting. If we all felt like we had to respond to every homeless person, every neighbor that's struggling, that would be exhausting. But you know what? We're all called to something. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to nudge us and then respond when He does, that's when it turns into ministry. And I know there's many times that I knew I was supposed to help or step out, and I didn't. And um, and I had to repent from that. But, you know, God has a way of always bringing us back <laughs> to the purpose until we've learned our lesson. And so I'm still learning that. Um, um, but pray that the Holy Spirit would make you sensitive. Um, I'm on on um, on a couple of neighborhood Facebook pages, and I love to read through those. What people post, you know. Sometimes it's just about crime in the area, but sometimes it's GoFundMe pages of somebody who just came down with cancer or lost someone, a loved one, or um, or, or different things, and. Um, and once in a while, I, I will get this nudge that I sh- should look into it more. That you know, others you just read and you maybe you pray, uh, but there was one particular situation just a couple months ago where something about the post a woman was posting that her and her daughter's car windows had been smashed in, and they had just taken in their three grandkids for for an emergency um, custody thing, and something about it made me go like, okay, I I think I'm supposed to help, and so. I, I wrote her a private me- po- um, Facebook message and said, "You know, I think our church can help because we do have our ben- benevolence ministry." And um and um, and I said, "You know, will you call me? Here's my phone number." And she called me and the first thing she said, she it turns out she was a believer and she said she said, "When I saw your message, I cried that the Lord would put it on your heart to reach out to me and that you would respond." And so um, you know, we talked and we ended up being um, helping her with some rent and I um, connected her with our food pantry and um, I've been following up with her. But that's just a small example. I can't respond to every post. I can't help. But that was, I knew I was supposed to reach out and, and our church was supposed to help and, and so was I. So be prepared to be interrupted and to be inconvenienced. And um, as the missions and outreach pastor, I couldn't um, close the sermon without putting a plug in for Outreach. <laughs> That's another practical way. We actually have quite a few ministries here at the church where um, you can love love um, your neighbor and help a neighbor in need. Um, we have our food pantry. I think most of you are aware of that. But every Wednesday, we have about 80, 90 families from the community that come. And almost none of them go to our church. Um, lots of Ukrainians, lots of Hispanic. Um, other nationalities Americans um, but they simply um, we used to meet them in the gym and but now they simply drive through and we have lots of volunteers um, who pack the bags and then open their trunks and put them in there and that's what we did for years and we always felt gosh isn't it we want to do more what can we do for them and so in this last year we started a prayer ministry for them and so um, as they get their food um, a couple of people who are prayer warriors will ask them, you know, we're here to pray, do you have a need? Is there anything we can pray for you? And we've just been shocked how many people say yes. <laughs> and so then they basically, they continue a little bit park on the side and we have um, two people who, who pray with them and for them and they learn their names, they learn what their need is, what they need prayer for. And, um, and uh, we've seen people healed. We've had people who gave their life to Jesus. By being prayed for, and we've had people who would bring other family members back the next week, um, you know, to be prayed over. So it's 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 amazing um, how how we've used that. And then we have our homeless ministry. I've talked about that. Um, if you're interested in that, um, come come find me. And we have our Hope for Families ministry. Um, we've um, been partnered with some foster families in the community and. None of them go to our church. Some of them are not believers, some are, but we've been able to um, surround them with, with three, four people for for each foster family who bring a weekly meal, who, um, who maybe play with the kids, who help with a birthday party, who um, invite them to church, who help with transportation, whatever that looks like will depend on what the foster family is willing to receive and what the care community is willing to give. But that's being the hands and feet of Jesus, right, in a, in a, in a world that desperately needs us. Um, and so in, in closing, I want to leave you with two questions. Um, first of all, the first question is, who is your neighbor? And I actually think a better question is, what kind of neighbor are you? Right, <laughs> um, The law expert asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, I think, turned that question around and asked, what kind of neighbor are you? So what kind of neighbor are you? And the second is, um, in Second Corinthians 5.14, um, Paul says that the love of Christ compels us. And my question is, what is the love of Christ compelling you to do? When we really, as believers, when we have the love in us, we need to share it, <laughs> right? Christ's love compels us to help, to love others, to give. And and um, so I just want to leave you with those two questions. And I believe that the Lord will speak to you, right? Um, that um, as, as you go through the week, um, as you start praying and you become sensitive, that He not just you, and maybe in the past you would have done what the Levite and the priest did. And again, maybe not even out of arrogance or whatever, but just out of fear, out of busyness, out of, um, um, you know, whatever. But God's calling you to step out. And so um, I want to pray for that. So Father God, I just thank you um, that you are so loving and gentle with us, Lord. And even... The way that you love us is an example of how we can love others, Lord, and as we have a community here in Federal Way and, and Tacoma and beyond, Lord, that is just suffering and in need and so much hopelessness. and. And as prices go up, we see more and more people in need. Lord, I pray that you would help us be a congregation, a community that reaches out, Lord, um, that we would love our neighbors, either our immediate neighbors in our streets, Lord, our family members, our co-workers, um, whatever, whatever people we come upon, and that you would show us when it is our turn to step in and to help, Lord, that we would form hundreds of little care communities um, loving, loving on our neighbors, Lord. And so I just thank you for that, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.